Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and sitting across the table from me, it's Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. And today we are here to talk Pele. I've heard of him. I imagine you have because he's one of the best players of all time, unless you're Diego Maradona, in which case you don't rate him. Uh, But what is it about him that makes him so special? Why do people who maybe don't know much else about soccer or really anything about soccer, they know that name Pele? Yeah, my my wife's father knows the name Pele, probably couldn't name another soccer player. That sounds about right. And so while other players from the 50s, 60s, 70s have maybe faded from our memories a little bit, Pele kind of stays front and center in our collective soccer minds. I mean, Uh, you you said that. I've got a our poster. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So we've done the research. We've watched the footage. Uh, we're now here to determine why exactly he is so special, why he stays in our minds to this day. Okay. So we're just going to trade back and forth. I think like, so. Our reasons why we think Pele, basically, why is Pele such a big deal? Yes, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Would you like to, I feel like you've done more research than me. I'm looking across the table, your notes, there are more bullet points than I have bullet points. There's a lot of bullet points. So why don't you go first so that you can get some of yours done? Sure. I'll start off with, and I think what we're striving to do here is maybe not tell like the history of Pele. We're not oh, doing no, no, a biography. No, no. We're not going to say he was born here and then he had this for breakfast. No, no, we're not. And I'll also say this will come up a lot in mind, but a quick disclaimer is that like we're also – I at least was trying to kind of remove some of the mythology from Pele yeah. because with him there is so much storytelling uh-huh. that it's difficult at times to figure out what exactly is true, uh-huh. what exactly is myth. Some of the storytelling comes from Pele himself. It, does but one of the things he definitely did not make up was that brazil won the 1958 world cup and that's where i want to start uh because it was the first time they ever won the world cup and that's a very important thing to remember uh there's a great quote from author armando negera who said the first championship is like a first kiss one never forgets he also added there's a certain aura a certain mysticism about that first victory and i think that is very true and that pertains to pele as well his first world cup as a 17 year old to become this like front and center story of this youngster who came through, didn't start, ended up starting, ended up scoring, ended up becoming this pivotal figure Mm -hmm. that he played such an important role in Brazil winning their first World Cup, I think is why he stays, like, or at least initially is connected to the brilliance of Brazil. And then I I kind of joked about uh, Vava Uh um, at the top of this show. I think he scored more goals than Pelé at Mm -hmm. that tournament, but Pelé scored more memorable mm-hmm. goals, right? So there's there's what he did for Brazil. But then if you think that uh, TV stuff was kind of beginning um, in the 50s, I'm sure we'll get more into media and how mm-hmm. that relates later. But Pelé scored two incredible goals in that World Cup yep. final. You know, the one where he chests the ball, then he lifts it over a defender's head, then he takes it on the volley on the other side. Imagine seeing that all around the world and you're some guy in England in 1958 watching like you know the brief footage of the 1958 World Cup final. You immediately will be like, Who's that guy? Yeah. I'm going to remember him. And, and and that's worth noting that, yeah, 58 was the first, I think, like international television coverage of a World Cup. That probably factors into it, too. Yeah. And it's also when we get, by all accounts, our in, like our modern understanding of Brazilian soccer, it starts with this 1958 team. So it's lively, talented, energetic, enthusiastic, fun, skillful, mm-hmm. but goal scoring. All of it goes back to that 4-2-4, but all of it also goes back to Pele. Oh, okay. I've also, I've got a similar note about mm-hmm. 1958. My note is, uh, my reason that he endures so much, maybe especially in Brazil, is in 1958, he redeemed Brazil. Yep. Because if you don't know your Brazilian soccer history, 
1950, when Pelé was just a wee lad, mm-hmm. um, if he was Scottish, um, <laughs> there was the famous, uh, what's it called? The, the Maracanao? Maracanao? Yeah. Um, which is the agony of the Maracana. Yeah, you've got that. I think you've got the unfortunate final uh, yeah. as well as another one. So what happened is it wasn't actually a World Cup final, right? Because mm-hmm. the 1950 World Cup final was in a weird group stage yep. format. But the final stage, group stage game was Brazil versus Uruguay, Uruguay at the Maracanã, which is a famous Brazilian stadium. All Brazil had to do was draw, and they were world champions for the first time. Brazil lost. And it was this national disaster. It's very similar to the 7-1 defeat mm-hmm. to Germany in many ways. This is, and then eight years later, this teenage Pelé is leading the charge yeah. as Brazil actually win the World Cup and redeem what happened in 1950. I want to get into that self-mythologizing thing as well, because sure. I've seen Pelé tell the story of watching his father watch the 1950 yep. World Cup final, his father start crying, and Pelé mm. say to his dad, I think he was, what, say nine or ten years old, yeah. and he said, don't worry, dad, I'm going to win the World Cup for Brazil. Yes. And Tr- truth or Pelé self-mythology? I mean, it, I feel like it can be both, which okay. is that I feel like any uh, child who, if if their father's crying because his favorite football team, American football team, has just lost the Super Bowl, uh-huh. that child who's six might say, like, don't worry, one day I'll win you the Super Bowl. <laughs> and little kids make lots of claims, and he might also yeah. have said, one day I'm going to be the lead singer for the Beatles. That seems uh-huh. less likely. But like, <laughs> you maybe you remember those because of what happens later on in life. So yeah. he may well have said that, but I doubt it was this, like, clarifying incident of I'm going to go out and play every single day and I will one day become victorious and it was his life's ambition it was probably like yeah don't worry we'll probably win it someday (laughs) all right we're not going uh chronological we're not but I would like to stick with 58 one more time if you don't mind all right you go first well I would say I think the other thing that stands out going back to actually 1950 is the role that kind of race has played in Brazilian soccer or played at least in the moment that that 1950 failure uh you had two black players uh specifically the goalkeeper Barbosa who was blamed for that one. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just, oh, the goalkeeper made some mistakes. It was more so like racially motivated criticism of a black player. Yep. And that stuck with the team and kind of stuck with Brazil's identity because if you look at Brazil historically, I think part of Pele's story is connected to race and society in Brazil. The last, the last South American country to outlaw slavery, Pele, I believe, was only three generations removed from slaves. Uh, his parents, or great-grandparents, I guess it would be, were mm-hmm. slaves. So I think... You have to con- like consider that when then you go to 1958 and here is this 17-year-old black teenager who's crying after winning the World Cup and he became this kind of figure to Brazil yeah. and to the world as a whole. And then he becomes the face of the team as yeah. they win the 62 World Cup. Yep. Um, they don't win the 66 World Cup, but then they famously win the 1970 World Cup and Pelé's the face of the team each and every time. I guess we'll talk more about those well, tournaments we later. Can, we can say this now though. I would say that like it is a strange thing and I promise this is not me just trying to be this like revisionist history person but you're right he's the face of the team and yet for 58 as you said there's people who score more goals 62 he gets injured by all accounts that's Garinch's team that mm-hmm. wins that World Cup 66 he gets kicked he gets injured he gets they kicked, don't win kicked out of the tournament yeah. but in a literal sense not in a uh, the administrative yeah. sense yeah and so in 1970 it's this team that like comes together and congeals and is one of the best Brazil teams ever if not best teams ever of all time mm-hmm. but again it's not like necessarily Pele carries this team and scores 40 goals in the tournament and everybody else is just kind of hanging on yeah. it is he's surrounded by very good players mm-hmm. but you're right he remains the face of those teams and I think part of the reason this connects to my next reason why Pele is so well known is that he was very famous very fast 
very young. Yep. Right. So we mentioned 1958 World Cup. He's 17. He'd only made his debut for his uh, Brazilian team Santos. What the season before? Yeah. So 1957, he like you know gets his debut season. 1958, he scores a ton of goals. I think he scores 80 goals across all competitions plus exhibitions for Santos. Unless you ask Pele, in which case he scored uh, 6,000. <laughs> well, I think Pele would say that the the ones in friendlies were official. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then 1958. <laughs> He's famously winning the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And then he's famous for another 20-something years beyond, literally 20 years beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. He's a famous soccer player. So it's almost like there was no build-up to Pelé's career, right? There was no like, um, you know, a lot of players maybe get their debut at like yeah. 18, 19, 20 and don't get famous globally till they're 23. Mm-hmm. Pelé was straight to the top of the charts yeah. in 1958 and stayed there for 20 years. He did. That's why he has such name recognition. So uh, I want to ask you this then. Like, how much of his time at Santos do you think factors into that sort of exploding onto the spotlight and then staying there for a good long while? Because I feel like Santos also are a, bi- a big part of what makes Pele Pele today. Why do you think Santos is a big part of what makes Pele Pele? <laughs> I mean, that's a genuine question. I don't sure. know the answer to that question. So he plays for Santos for 18 years. In that time, 24 major trophies, two Copa Lib uh, titles. That's decent. Yep. But Copa the- Libertadores is the Champions League essentially of South America, for those who don't know. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Um, but because of that kind of attacking formation that we talked about with 1958. 4-2-4. It became this thing that people wanted to see. And so they wanted to see this Brazilian goal scoring machine. Santos became a part of that. So you have Santos almost as a like like ambassadors for Brazil going around the world, yeah. playing this incredibly exciting soccer, playing all these different friendlies. Pele is there. So he's traveling to countries all over Europe and wherever else in the world. And so people that might not otherwise be exposed to a Brazilian national team or a Brazilian club team, let alone, are suddenly watching this team score a bunch of goals against their local team. And Pele is right there doing a lot of it. Yeah. So it's almost like he went on this tour to be an ambassador for Brazilian soccer, but in a lot of ways became an ambassador for Pele. Yeah, I, I get that. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I, but I also think maybe one of the reasons that uh, his time at Santos is so key to Pele's massive, massive fame is that he was able to score a lot of goals for Santos Yes, because of the way Brazilian soccer was structured um, during that time. Let's talk right? about so it. during his career, they do create the National League, right? But for the first few years... There, and, and as part of the season going forward, there is the state championship, mm-hmm. the Sao Paulo state championship, right? Which is very competitive. It still is very competitive, but there are also some not so good teams in there as well, right? Yes. So he's able to stay in that league and essentially, and I, this sounds disrespectful when I say it, but pad his numbers because mm-hmm. he can rack up a lot, a lot of goals in the Sao Paulo state championship, right? So, and especially if you're then someone else around the world, you maybe don't get to see too much footage of Pele. Mm-hmm. But you can see the numbers. You yep. can see him scoring just tens and tens of goals every single season. And compounding that, because you're absolutely right when it comes to like the Brazilian t- uh, opposition he was playing. Uh, Jonathan Liu, uh, L-I-E-W, uh, I'm taking this quote from him. Uh, Pele played more than 100 games in 1959, including 15 in three weeks on a tour of Europe. By the early 1960s, he was regularly playing three times a week with extensive traveling in between. Mm-hmm. So not only is he beating up on teams in Brazil, he's playing <laughs> these exhibition games against maybe some comparable quality teams, but a lot of lower level teams are not as good. And especially in an exhibition, maybe they're not quite as focused on defense as they might be otherwise. Yeah. So he's able to play all these games, get all this exposure, get all these minutes and get, most importantly, all those goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we, I don't want to do play a disservice by just talking about numbers. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the player. Sure. So as part of researching for this episode, I've watched a lot of, you know, Pele playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what strikes me the most is that he genuinely has everything. Absolutely. Right? I don't want to get into like hyperbole, but two-footed, fast, 
balance, right? People could not knock him over. He has a lot of feints and stops and stepovers, right? So he can, he's very hard to catch, essentially, because he's got some, some good tricks and changes of direction that are really hard for defenders to, to compete with. But then powerful, accurate yeah. shooting. I am in awe of the striking of the ball that we've seen from Pele. The mm-hmm. 1958 World Cup final goal I talk about, where he lifts it over the um, Swedish defender's head, but then hits it as it comes down. It is so accurate and so perfect and so fast and powerful into the corner. That's one example of what Pele could do. Yeah, and if you want further examples, uh, there's a great YouTube video. Uh, Pele, he did it 50 years ago. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this one. No. Um, but it basically cuts between modern players doing modern moves that we kind of identify with them. So it's Ronaldo doing like the roll and then step over and then step over again. Yeah, yeah. And then it cuts to Pele doing that. And it cuts to Pele doing all of the many moves. The one that stood out most memorably to me was the, you know, the, I think you hate it, but it's like the Neymar move where he'll kind of just stand upright with the ball in front of him and the defender in front of him and he'll just wait for the defender to do something. It depends on the situation, but yeah. yeah. Pele definitely did that. Ah. You can see that clip too. But <laughs> So to see all of these modern players doing it, to see that Pele did it in the 50s and 60s, but also then to remember the equipment and materials he was uh, utilizing in that moment, how heavy that ball probably was, if there was even like a tiny amount of water around, yeah, yeah. it makes it that much more impressive, not just what he can do with the ball, but what he gets the ball to do. To your point, the power behind those strikes yep. for what had to be a very heavy and uncomfortable soccer ball. Ooh, and can, can you imagine being on the receiving end of one of those nope. if, uh, if you're a goalkeeper? Um, then the other thing is, like, obviously he gets a lot of goals because he has kind of a poachery instinct mm-hmm. as well, right? So he probably could have just been a goal hanger and scored scored a bunch of goals but he also throughout his career like say 1970 I think he plays a little he can come a little deeper and connect play uh, the 1970 goal mm-hmm. that Carlos Alberto scores yep. is Pele just receiving the ball and cleverly laying it laying it off to him so it's a little bit like he can basically do a little bit of everything attacking even weirdly win a bunch of balls in the air for a fight a man who's five foot eight I mean, that's incredibly impressive. Yeah. And I've got some more stuff to say about his physical Let's attributes as well as his technical ability. But first, I feel like maybe we should take a break to talk about today's sponsor. Today's Soccer 101 is sponsored by Postmates. Pele always delivered. <laughs> Postmates delivered too. You beat me to it. I have my own Pele joke about how he would like <laughs> deliver the ball into the net. And he didn't even need an app to do it. Yours is better. Postmates will deliver food drinks, Mm -hmm. anything you want, anything that can be bought from a store, pretty much. Postmates will deliver it to you. And the key thing there, you don't even need to know where the store is, which is very nice because, like, do you ever do, well, you don't because you don't drive, but, like, I'll do that thing where I know I want food, and so I'll look at, like, I'm on the highway, like, I'm looking at my route home, there's not much on the way, like, I guess there's this place nearby, and you sort of have to do the geography math, almost. Oh, wow. With Postmates. Your life sounds complicated. You just click, 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 and it's delivered (laughs) right to your door. You don't even have to know where things are. You really do click, click, click. If you download the app, which you can get for free for Mm -hmm. iOS or Android, uh, once you open it up, you can browse all kinds of local food establishments. <laughs> you bros- I was just thinking of a synonym for restaurants. You can browse local restaurants. Uh, or businesses, yeah. uh, if you're getting like, the goods delivered. Uh, simply download the app for iOS or Android for free. Once you make your delivery, you can track it in real time. It shows yeah. up at your door. You just take the thing, go back inside. No money, no anything like that. I mean, obviously, you have to pay for it, but not in person, which is a nice... Uh, you don't even have to do the awkward, like, uh, do I tip $2 in cash? I don't know what to do here. Do I do $4? Don't even have to worry about that. And uh, which days of the year is this unavailable? 
I think just like every other one, right? <laughs> no, it's every day. Twenty four seven, three sixty five, and three sixty six on leap year. If you've done a terrible job in your Christmas preparations, and people in your house really <laughs> like food, you can have that delivered on Christmas Day and be like, "I totally planned it all out." <laughs> Wouldn't that be a giveaway that you did last minute that nah. Postmates are delivering the Christmas presents? Don't give away the secrets, Daryl. People don't need <laughs> to know that. They just need to know that Postmates can provide that service. Let's hope your extended family doesn't listen to this ad. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> then they'll know. Uh oh. Then they'll know. Um, so once you've downloaded the. <laughs> When they get a lot of stuff from CVS in their stockings, they'll know. <laughs> oh, from the as seen on TV aisle. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Taylor. My wife would love that, by the way. Or from the last season's discount items from CVS, which is always a plus. Star Wars The Force yeah, Awakens. Exactly. <laughs> For a limited time, Postmates has given our listeners $100 of free delivery credit that you can use within the first seven days. To start getting those free deliveries, mm-hmm. you just download the app, use the code Soccer. Mm, that's code soccer for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. So if this episode has put you in the mood for like Brazilian fare, you can look <laughs> on Postmates, see if you've got a restaurant in the area. If you do, they will deliver it to you because anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. <laughs> All right. So Postmates, a great sponsor on today's show. Mm-hmm. We very much appreciate them. Thank you very much to Postmates for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101. I want to go back to Pele's physical attributes because, as you Please said, do. he is he is not this like six foot two giant no. you would expect to win everything. He's five foot eight. Right. Uh, there was a New York Times article when he first signed He's for the Cosmos. Probably smaller now as he gets older. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, there's a New York Times article uh, when he first signed for the Cosmos that like, kind of doctors ran him through a series of medical tests. Again, I think this may have been sponsored by Pepsi. So big old grain of salt there. <laughs> um, but uh, what they found was that his beats per minute while training in his uh, his heart, not his beats by Dre, uh, were 56 to 58 uh, beats per minute. The norm is 90 to 95 when you're training. Uh, his peripheral vision was 30% greater than a normal athlete's. He also had greater aerobic uh, capacity, which meant he could recover faster. But the big one, to your point about winning the aerial challenges, was that like I think it was the way his muscles had formed. Uh, part of that was because of his feet, that he had like, very strong heel bones, so they kept him flatter, which meant he could accelerate faster but he kind of sounds like some pepsi science it does but the thing that i think does i do kind of believe is he has that ronaldo ability to hang in the air that basically because he could jump higher he could stay in the air longer and if you go back and look at some of the clips of him winning headers his the like center back who he's out jumping jumps at the exact same time but that center back comes down while pele is either still rising or still hanging in the air and thus winning that header lifted towards the heavens just a little bit longer than everybody else Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) excuse me the flat feet uh, or parallel feet and strong bone uh in the heel were natural shock absorbers is what (laughs) the new york times uh wrote in the 70s i want to talk about pele in europe sure okay so one of the reasons i think uh pele is so revered Mm -hmm. is the weirdly, the fact that he never came to play in Europe yep. um, in the 60s, which is when he, we would have assumed that he would have come over. Um, I think the fact that he never sort of came and say, let's say he played mm-hmm. for Manchester United and had a, a bum season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then everyone's like, oh, yeah. he's just another human. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think because he didn't come and play in Europe, especially for European soccer fans, he still has this weird sort of, it's almost like a what might have been mm-hmm. or a we didn't get to see him uh, mythology around him. And it's a bit, a bit like how you don't see the shark in Jaws makes the shark scarier. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of that going on with Pele in Europe. I agree. But I think it's also worth noting that like it wasn't that uncommon for people not to go and play in Europe at this time period. Because I think 
if you're new to soccer, if you've only started watching in the last couple of years, you might think, oh, of course, Brazilians have always been like played in the richer leagues around the world. Yeah. And it's worth noting that like at the time, no, they really didn't. It mm-hmm. wasn't until much later that you had Brazilians start going to other leagues. So when when did it start? You know, I mean, yeah. So the first time you have, oh, uh, you've done the research. I have. Look at you. <laughs> the first time you have um, Brazilians on like playing in a World Cup, but uh, not playing in the domestic league is 1982. You have two players. Uh, Just. That's 20-something years later, right? Yeah. 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 But then, I mean, really, wh- when it starts to get to, like, only half is around 1990. Yeah. And by the time you get to, like, what we have today, where it's more of, like, only a few. Where the uh, majority t- of the Brazilian players play in Europe. Yeah, 2006, three of the 23 right. were playing in Brazil, everybody so, else abroad. So in hindsight, it's unrealistic to expect Pelé to have moved to Europe. Yes, it's, exactly. Even like, it's, the weird thing is that it was even rumored that he was going. That is very well said. So, yeah, that's one part of it. And then the other thing I wanted to get to was going back to those exhibition games where he gets all the goals. We're still talking about an era where you don't have – obviously you don't have the internet, but you don't have nearly as much coverage, nearly as much written about, especially from country to country. So a lot of these teams going up against Pele in these exhibitions or in the World Cup are kind of experiencing him and Brazil for the first time. Mm -hmm. So if you're used to playing the WM in a very traditional style of soccer and all of a sudden here's this 4-2-4, you're kind of overwhelmed. Pele bringing in different skill sets also helps overwhelm you. But if he were playing in England and playing against all these teams or playing in Sweden or France or Italy or wherever, they get used to him. You see him on a regular basis. It becomes less of this explosive threat that comes out of nowhere and more of a, oh, it's Pele, let's foul him a whole bunch. (laughs) I've also, I saw a few quotes. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to read one. Quotes from players who sort of faced him for the first time Mm -hmm. because they'd never faced him before. And, uh, and we're very, very impressed with, with who they're up against. Do, right? do, you, do you have any specifics? I have one specific I one. Hear it. You may have the same one somewhere in your I, d- I don't. So, so in the 1970 World Cup mm-hmm. final, which Brazil win, they beat Italy. Uh, the man tasked with marking Pele, imagine being told you've got that job, um, is Tarquisio Bergnich, um, is the Italian defender. Um, he said, I told myself before the game, he's made of skin and bones just like everyone else. I was wrong. <laughs> That feels that does feel like the thing of uh you know the stories of people deliberately injuring themselves to get out of uh the draft in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if you told me I had to mark Pele, I'd be like, Well, I'm cutting <laughs> off a pinky toe now. <laughs> Fake some back pain. I think faking back pain is the way to go. It's probably the way to do it nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. g- give me another I've got some, sure. some reasons mm-hmm. left. You got any more reasons why Pele endures? Yeah, I do. Um, It's one that we've kind of already alluded to previously, but I think it's also that he was in the right technological time period uh, Hmm. because we talked about 58, first international TV coverage. 1970, a lot of people say – and I promise this isn't just me saying. People say. I've seen this written many times. That, that 1970 team is the best World Cup team we've ever seen. That Brazil team? Yes, yeah. excuse me. Um, and there's an argument to be made that it's the first to be broadcast worldwide in color. Mm-hmm. And so people could Wait, watch. The, the entire World Cup is the best World Cup people have seen? No, that 1970 that team? Brazil team okay, okay. specifically. But it's because suddenly you're seeing this Brazil team, which is already very vibrant and exciting. But to see them actually in color. Yeah. It really, see the like, canary yellow. To see that goal that he scored in 58, it's an amazing goal. But it is, for whatever reason, because it's black and white, it doesn't quite strike you the same way that 1970 yeah. with like the Technicolor and it's all right in your face. Yeah. The way when that ball goes in the back of the net, you see the ball hit the net. It's a diff- definite contrast in color. It just stands out that much more. <laughs> I think maybe uh, people as well don't realize how 
affected they are by sort of bright yeah. colours and how mm-hmm. much we as people like them. It's an important Remember, thing. There's that whole thing of how maybe the Premier League is more popular mm-hmm. because they it's broadcast in quite bright hues. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It might be the same thing with uh, the 1970 World Cup, which people remember fondly in general, mm-hmm. and specifically uh, specifically that team. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think th- that definitely helps it stand out. And then, as we've said, it's, it's the era before everybody knew everybody. It's the mm-hmm. era before everybody knew what to expect from these national teams. And so this 1970 Brazil team coming in, it really was about figuring out how do we get these 11 players on the field at the same time. And that's what they had to do is like move it around and change this and put him here and put that guy there and play a left back who's actually a left forward, but we want him on the field. And that I feel like nobody kind of knew this juggernaut that was about to be unleashed at the 70 World Cup until yeah. it was. And because it's just so vividly stands out, that golfing class, it stands out that much more in our memories. For me as well, in terms of Pelé's career and longevity and the way we think about him, I think the fact that Pelé bookends his World Cup career Mm -hmm. with this 1970 World Cup win just makes him feel more ever-present, right? He's 58, 62, 66, and then 70. It's like a nearly 30-year-old Pelé. I think he's 29 or 30, time of the 1970 World Cup. So he's not just like this, you know... Like, it's like Kylian Mbappe won it in 2018, Mm -hmm. but we don't know if in 2030... Kylian Mbappe will be winning the World Cup again. Exactly. But if he does, then he's had this magnificent career. That's what Pelé had. It's bookended by 58 World Cup, 70 World Cup. Yep. So you see young Pelé win it um, as the junior on the team, and you see um, older Pelé win it as the senior member of that 1970 Brazil team. That all feeds into the legend, in my opinion. I was going to throw this out there. Decent career. Decent career. <laughs> um, and I'll say it also factors for me that we're talking about him in the present tense because he's still alive. Mm-hmm. And I think at time of recording, at time of recording. But I think that is important to note that you look at players, Grincha, Cruyff, Best, they still ta- they're still talked about, obviously. People still know those names. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if the person is still alive and still around, it keeps them in your memory that much that we still see footage of Pele. I mean, and there are the stories of him being hospitalized and needing medical attention, and it brings him back to the forefront. I think once a person passes away, it's not necessarily easier, but it tends to be the case that you kind of start to forget about them a little bit more, and they're sort of resigned to history in a way that makes them more of a historical figure than a contemporary figure. Interesting. Okay. Um, the other thing I have not is... Not that Pele's out there scoring goals still for Brazil, <laughs> but you get my point. The numbers, the numbers, mm-hmm. the numbers. So the official total is that Pele scored 1,282 goals in 1,363 games. Checks out. It's rock-solid math. It really doesn't, right? Because a lot of those goals include exhibition games, friendly games, mm-hmm. maybe even some youth team games. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've read, if you only actually take uh, Sao Paulo State Championship, other official Brazilian tournaments, uh, international goals, which he scored, what, 77 and 92? Those mm-hmm. are official, still not bad. Um, and goals he scored for the New York Cosmos um, in the NASL. It's about 400 less, right? It's about yeah. 400 fewer. But that's still around seven, eight hundred goals, right? So yeah. his actual total, if you just did it officially, is still incredible. Um, but there's this inflation up to one thousand two hundred eighty-two. All right, so it's a little bit inflated, a little bit, I would say. Uh, I guess you would say as well. Uh, my question for you then is, uh, as with a lot of things about Pele, it seems like the myth kind of takes on this uh, greater significance and becomes the reality. So do you have any idea where this came from, why they started to get inflated? I, I do know that in 1969, someone in Brazil noticed that if you added up all of the goals you uh-huh. could find from Pele, 
the total was like 990. And so they began this chase for what they called Omelissimo, which is the thousandth, right? So they wanted to have this narrative of Pele has scored a thousand goals. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I don't know how much of a Pele creation it is, but he does often tout the 1,282 number himself afterwards. Um, but at the time, I think there was a media, Brazilian media creation of um, his closing in on 1,000. So mm-hmm. I think it sort of became official, even though a lot of those goals are in like, you know, tours and exhibitions yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to mention uh, while we're talking about those exhibition games uh, again was, do you know why they played so many exhibition games? Because I don't know if this is necessarily the exact reason, but I have to imagine it factored in. I assume because they could make a lot of money from like, it's almost like a, a traveling circus with Brazil, uh, sorry, with Pele as the the main event, so main feature. They would be act. they would be Santos. They yeah. would also be Pele. After 1958, uh, when European club offers started coming in, he, to, to buy him, uh-huh, yeah. he renegotiated with Santos uh, to get half of any fee for exhibition matches played abroad. Uh, his money manager then uh, squandered all that money yes. until 1966. But that was why a big part of it was that he wanted to make more money. And to be honest, that is also a part of Pele. I equate him with Michael Jordan a little bit and there are the contemporary theories not trying to be controversial here not trying to be accusatory but that like Michael Jordan is in that like psychopath realm in terms of some psychopaths are murders that you hear about on podcasts some run Fortune 500 companies because it's about <laughs> wanting to win all the time being super competitive focused on like yeah. what makes you the best Isn't How so- do you- sociopath? I mean, maybe I feel like one, I read this One of the paths it's in like the psychopath's dilemma or whatever, uh, the face of the psychopath or whatever that book is, The Mask, something like that. But all that is to say that I think you can take this sort of like idea about yourself and become, I want to be the best player in the world. I will be the best. So it's going to be, I'm going to work all the time at that. And you look at Pele and that's what his life is. It's about, it's number one is religion. He was a devout Catholic, remains a devout Catholic his entire life. But number two, I think is Pele. And it's about like everything he does, he goes in 110% on as much as you hate that number. But it's it's the stories of the Puma sponsorship where he stops and ties his shoes so the camera has to show off his shoes. Yeah. That's a 70 World Cup final. Yeah, yeah. That's a Pele thing, though. It's the idea of in this moment, I'm going to do the thing that's required to make Pe- Puma become this well-known international brand. And it's pursuing sponsorships whenever they're available. He has sponsored everything because I think he wants to be the biggest merchandiser in the world as much as the top goal scorer <laughs> in the world. He wants to be the best at it. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that's a huge thing because I don't think – He can merchandise with both feet. There we go. Because the thing that I really have come – and I say all that not – that sounds maybe vaguely critical. But it's actually the thing that has made me the most interested in Pele is that I think you can have kind of two mindsets if you're a professional athlete. It can be that, eh, you know, I want to win and score goals, but I'm here to have fun. I'm here to live my life. I think that's the Garincha model. I think that's the Ronaldinho model. And then I think you have other people who it's about, I want the records. I want the glory. I want the history. I I want to be the best. I think that's Ronaldo. I think that's Pele. And so with that... Mia Hamm, I believe, is like that as well. I would agree. And I would say, though, that you can't just switch that off. And so you kind of, if you want this person who's going to always try to find a way to win, they don't just switch that off when it comes to personal life or how they talk yeah. about soccer or who they talk about. They're always going to be competitive. Okay, here, but here's the thing mm-hmm. I want to I want to ask about. Um, you mentioned um, him not going to Europe, yeah, um, and doing those tours instead, right? Yeah. Smart negotiating to mm-hmm. get to get that money. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you did the same research as me, and you saw multiple references <laughs> to yes. Um, Pele didn't didn't leave Brazil and go and play in Europe. Because the Brazilian government declared him yep. a national treasure 
through an act of Congress. Mm -hmm. And I, I also know that you are not fully convinced that that actually happened. No, I'm not. I really want to talk about this. Let's do it. Because uh, th there are many stories about it. There are many stories about how like, the Brazilian president was very unpopular and knew that uh, keeping Pele in Brazil would make yeah. him even more popular, Pele, but also he the president. And the thing is, if you read these articles and people regurgitate this story – if you look at the links that like like link to the history of it, it's always another story that talks about it that links to another story that eventually links to a defunct, uh, no longer existing web page. <laughs> I have never been able to find anything. If it was a bill passed by the Brazilian Congress, you would assume that there is a physical written out bill somewhere. Yeah. Haven't been able to find that. Haven't been able to find any official documentation that this ever occurred except for an interview – Maybe I think it was like in 2014 with Pele talking about this. And it's the first time I've ever heard him say sort of like, oh, I, like, like it was suggested that I was this national treasure and they couldn't bear to let me go. So they didn't let me leave. And in that moment – Wouldn't he have fought that? Well, Shouldn't he have fought – if it was true, he should have like – caused absolute mayhem to to make sure he could leave see if he wanted to. see that's the thing similar uh, there's a market interview from a few years years ago about uh does he regret never playing for real madrid and he says uh i didn't play outside of brazil because i was very very happy at santos i had the best 15 to 20 years of my life there i had plenty of other proposals and not just from real madrid either but i was okay where i was one offer came from juventus another from napoli even uh from germany to play alongside beckenbauer at Bayern munich i wavered a little bit but i was enjoying my best moments at Santos, who, let's not forget, were also a great team. So that, it, I, I'm with you. I think he just wanted to stay at Santos, and he may have been declared a national treasure. Yeah. That may be true, mm -hmm. but I don't think that actually prevented him from leaving Brazil. No, I don't think so either. And I Otherwise, think, he was like a kidnapped hostage. Yeah. And, and, that, <laughs> and then the, there's the story about like Kissinger having to go negotiate to, allow, to get him to be permitted to go play for the Cosmos. And K Kissinger, I believe, says he did go down there. But that may well have been just because there was so much money tied up uh, in Pele that Brazil wanted to make sure that there was going to be some sort of remuneration mm -hmm. or some sort of benefit to them to let Pele go. But all that is to say for me, forgive me, that like – the interesting thing for me is that it's the line between re, like like fact and fiction with Pele. It's blurred, and it is always kind of in between. It's you can understand how oh yeah he definitely taught himself geometry because that's what allowed him to score goals. That's a claim he made. But you could also see how maybe he just got really good at scoring goals. And somebody once said like he's he could be a like the leading like 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 geometric mathematician or whatever it would be geometrist yeah. uh, geometry guy yeah geometry guy exactly. And then he was like I could be I well I studied geometry. And like you can see how those <laughs> myths get created, even if they're not necessarily of his own creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's true. Um, okay, I want to move us on sure. to suggest that maybe one of the reasons um, he is so famous is that move to the United States. Mm -hmm. I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, my wife's father doesn't know soccer players, knows Pele. I think it's because he came here in 1975, yeah. played for the New York Cosmos, and essentially uh, because of the New York Cosmos being related to Warner. Um, being very media savvy, created a lot of attention around Pele um, and around the New York Cosmos. I mean, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you can – I won't even go into the numbers, but you can find them all about the increase in attendance uh, both for NASL as a whole but for the Cosmos in particular. Mm -hmm. And the decrease after he leaves. I mean, exactly. the league folds two years after Pele leaves. Exactly. And all the goals scored and everything else that he, he brought to the table and why the Cosmos remain the Cosmos to this day. There's mm -hmm. a reason why you still get all the documentaries and footage of, of the New York Cosmos mm -hmm. to this day, and it starts with Pele. Once in a life. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is the documentary to watch about yeah. uh, Cosmos, by the way, Absolutely. if you want to get deeper into that. But yeah, I look at it as like the one place that at the time really didn't mm -hmm. care about soccer. Pele went there and made at least some people 
care about soccer. You could even argue that what we have today is a result of that sort of first push yeah. uh, in the 70s where Pele was the main face of it. Yeah, because I, I, I went back and watched his first game or like the highlights of his first game for the Cosmos and it's the same vibe as when Beckham first played for the Galaxy. You can just hear the clearly lots of children screaming. They're just excited. It's He's on the ball. Anytime he gets mm-hmm. the ball, you can hear just the, the crowd noise increase dramatically. It reminds me of that Beckham Everybody just wants to see what this person is capable of. Yeah. The only difference being that there was not very good security. So when Pele scores that first goal, I believe like the entire crowd runs up and hugs him. <laughs> There's like 50 people hugging him on the field. Uh, okay. I mean, I feel like we've mm-hmm. bounced through all kinds of reasons why Pele is so famous, yeah. why he's the name everybody knows. Do you have any more to add before we wrap up this episode of Soccer 101? No, I, I, I just want to say that like I think it's very – it would be not a fun listen for us to just spend 30 minutes talking about, oh, that goal and that goal and that yeah. move and that move. You can find all that footage. Um, but I would say that that is like really a huge part of it. And I just want to reiterate that. Watch that uh, he did it for he did it 50 years ago video. Watch some of the video of him playing and just know that nobody was capable of doing what he was doing at that time period. Yeah. And that, again, is why he's such a like revolutionary, iconic figure in yeah. global soccer. And it could even be stuff that maybe he's seen someone else do in mm-hmm. the Brazilian oh, league, absolutely. but then he does it at a World Cup. Yeah. So you see, first of all, I'm thinking specifically of the, um, he doesn't score it, I wish he'd scored it, the move against uh, the Uruguayan goalkeeper, mm-hmm. the 1970 World Cup, yep. where the ball goes through and Pele deliberately overruns the ball and goes the other way and the keeper goes with him, the ball goes the other side, then Pele runs around and meets the ball on the other side of the keeper, but then pulls it just wide, right? So I know, I've never seen that before, before I saw Pele do that. Uh, I wasn't around in 1970, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, f- the earliest footage I've ever seen of someone running the opposite way to the ball to fool the goalkeeper or a defender. You just jogged my memory. I believe he does that same thing in Escape to Victory. Uh, it's, oh, how, really? it's how he scores against Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Maybe Michael Caine told him that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remembered that he does that thing. Like, or maybe it's just like a step over and Stallone dives to the other corner and then he just casually passes it into the other corner. Yeah. Either way, again, he's in major motion pictures. <laughs> that probably is also a big part of why we still know Pele. <laughs> okay, you ready to wrap this up? Yep. All right. So there, a whole show about mm-hmm. Pele. I, I really enjoyed that. Me too. Um, if you enjoyed it, um, please leave Sucker 101 a review. Please share it with a friend. Leave it a review on iTunes. Subscribe in iTunes or however you listen. Um, also, if you've uh, never heard of us before and you enjoyed this, um, we want to let you know we have another show, The Total Soccer Show. It's been around since 2009. It is a more sort of daily, up-to-date, what-happened-today type mm-hmm. soccer show. So please go and find that if you haven't already. I concur. And if this is the first episode of Soccer 101 that you've found, please feel free to scroll up and down the feed. Um, there's no order that you have to listen. Um, any soccer topic you want to get into um, is in the Soccer 101 feed. Go for it. I concur again. <laughs> All right. I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. We'll talk to you again next time.